0: We are currently living through one of the most violent periods of, in history for Mexico and the wall there is no longer anything that is going to stop any of these threats.
1: Ed Calderon spent a dozen years working in counter-narcotics and organized crime investigations in the northern border region of Mexico. The former state police officer knew he had to leave when the leadership of his drug squad under a new presidential administration told him, you can take the silver or you can take the lead, which meant they were now on the payroll of a cartel. That night, Calderon fled Mexico with his three-year-old daughter for the safety of the United States. Hello, I'm investigative reporter Robert Riggs with a unique look inside the crime scene tape where Mexican cartel members and their puppets in police uniforms get away with murder. Calderon says it's getting deadlier with a war brewing between an old line cartel and a new violent upstart. Here's part two of my three-part series with Ed Calderon. Ed, based on your experience, tell me why the American public should be concerned and even care about what's going on in Mexico with the cartels.
0: Well, I mean there's various reasons why the United States and its people should be concerned about the issues of cartels in Mexico. Number 1 is responsibility. We and I say we because I'm a, I'm a member of this experiment we call the United States now and I've been paying taxes for a bit, uh, we hold responsibility in this country for some of the issues that are currently tearing Mexico apart. They have some responsibility as well, you know, but the Sinaloa cartel, for example, was born uh, in L.A. Most of the last unclassified documents uh, related to Mexico have revealed that presidents from the 70s and the 80s and and the 60s uh, were all on the uh, CIA's payroll. Foreign policy has been an issue uh, in Mexico as far as the United States for decades. So there's some responsibility there. We are currently living through one of the most violent periods of in history As for Mexico. And this is saying a lot. Mexico has been pretty, it's been through some things in its past. The border and the wall there is no longer anything that is going to stop any of these threats. These threats are here in the United States already. There's giant drug markets and organized crime rings that have been some uncovered and some are still out there the people on that border specifically the ones enforcing that border are completely overwhelmed because they're fighting a, a I think they're fighting a battle with their backs towards some of the issues that they're trying to stop from crossing the border so i think that the issue has already surpassed any sort of line on in the sand so i think more so than thinking about the issues in mexico i think we should all be thinking about these regionally the issues of regionally solving uh, some of these uh, things going on Fentanyl goes up, guns and ammunition go down, and money. People are trafficked. And the money that's made by that, those people trafficked that sometimes is even more than what they make uh, with drugs going across that border. So it's an issue that now has multiple heads.
1: So it's kind of the open door policy for the migrants in this country. Is it just making the cartels richer and richer?
0: I think illegal immigration is legal for a reason. I think there's probably some economic interest in the United States that want to keep it illegal. But in no way, shape or form, does having an open, open border benefit the freedom of people crossing that border and seeking a, a, a new or good life specifically? I think there's this uh, tendency that a lot of people want to want to have to just equate all immigrants looking for the same thing. That's just not the case anymore. We see people going across that border, some of them already sold as indentured servants. Basically, slavery is alive and well in our day and age. Some of these people get shipped out to farms. If you're a female, you'll get shipped out to one of many clandestine brothels probably out there in the United States somewhere. Some of them have already been found. And it's a hot topic right now as far as trafficking goes. Children get utilized as props by some people, you know. I've, uh, I've been on both sides of the border seeing some of these caravans, and uh, I'm a native speaker of Spanish, so I can hear some of these kids' uh, reluctance to go with men who are grabbing onto their arms and pulling them across the border because they don't know who these people are. I've seen people with wristbands de- delineating who has paid and who hasn't paid, basically, who are the slaves and who's free to go. People are making masses of amount of money on the organized crime side with this open borders policy. And when it gets shut down and it's militarized and we have this other policy, which is build the wall, the same thing happens. Basically it raises prices and these people make more money. So the whole system is is flawed in a lot of ways. The more secure the border, the more they can feasibly charge. And immigration as a whole to the United States is kind of down despite the massive migration that you see there on the border. The people you see there are not, not usually Mexicans anymore. They're mostly people South American from other parts of the world just making their way. Ukrainians, Chinese, people from uh, Northern Africa, Europeans, it's from everywhere. They all come with the idea of now is the time they're going to allow us in, and, and we're going to get to see the dream. Some of them come with that idea. Others are just entitled to feel the entitlement that they, uh, they deserve to be let in, basically. And all this is just a pressure and strain on a border that's already struggling to keep fentanyl and fentanyl-related products and cocaine and a bunch of other things from coming into the country. And now you add a mass of people, children and women, burdening or overstressing uh, a specific part of the border.
1: Now, who do you think that benefits? It sounds like the cartels control the border, not the U.S. and not the U.S. federal officials.
0: Well, We have to be careful when we say cartels and what we mean by that. The images that people have in their minds when they say a cartel or cartels, they have this image of some people living in the hillside somewhere, you know, in the jungle or maybe, I don't know, guys wearing the hat and the pointy boots and the AKs and running around. The criminal organizations are going through a metamorphosis of an amazing kind, something we saw in Gang Era Chicago where some of these people that were on organized crime basically started politicizing and started paying for political candidates and going into politics. It's hard to tease out or separate politics and cartel politics now in a lot of ways. Each of them have their own political candidate that they're betting on, um, political killings that are an all-time high in Mexico. So that should be very telling to analysts, the people that are looking at the issues in Mexico they are killing each other's candidates because they are very much in politics. So when we say the cartels, we need to include more individuals in that
1: whole scheme of things. I think now we, we should. Are they, in essence, multinational corporations? In
0: essence, yes. We have, I've had people go to places like Colombia, Medellin, and seen how cartel brokers are basically taking ownership over production down there in, in different ways. Spanish ports have been assailed by different attempts of uh, cartel organizations trying to put in cocaine into the country in different ways from packing them inside of uh, rocks for you know decoration to, to submarines uh, that are now being utilized to try a, a fully submersible submarines, not those ones that actually lay on the surface of the water. They're spreading when I say they're spreading, I mean their influence is spreading. And I don't know about you, but I don't see or feel like cartels could have a freedom of movement internationally with passports and IDs, unless that they have a legitimate arm that is represented by government and or business that they are using to expand. And this is what people should be looking at.
1: You mentioned the, the growing violence or the violence. We're really not hearing that about that much on the news here, but you've talked about that the Sinaloa cartels losing control and the new generation is uh, expanding very rapidly. Explain what's going on there.
0: I think what we historically saw coming out of Sinaloa was a federation of local criminal groups that were in the business of growing and trafficking. And basically setting up an empire for themselves or like a war, uh, like a warlord state in Sinaloa, if you you will. I think some factions of that have been fractured. The federal government itself in Mexico has gone after some of the El Chapo Guzman kids, the sons of El Chapo Guzman, who are now running his operations in in the state of Sinaloa, including some major trafficking operations uh, to the United States. But they were a small part of it. There's other factions there. There's a big faction that is run by a man called El Mayo Sambada, who is a mystery man to a lot of people. He's a ghost. Uh, he's never been arrested. Learned mo- most of his tradecraft in L.A. Again, the birth of the uh, Sinaloa cartel was probably in L.A., not in Sinaloa. He's a, he's an, he's a fascinating uh, individual as far as his seemingly untouchable nature. But he's the last uh, strong element remaining in that uh, organization. What I mean by that, I mean an uninterrupted individual in control from the heyday or golden age of cartels in, in, in Mexico, or the inception of them, to now. And his main rivals are a group that is expanding in an almost militaristic type type way across Mexico. The New Generation Cartel, run by a former law enforcement agent uh, by the name of Nemesio Ceguera Cervantes. Another mystery. People on both sides of the border, even in government, don't know if he's alive or not. There's rumors, there's been many rumors of his death, but his cartel is growing exponentially. They are not the typical cartel, the cartel uh, imagery that we have in our minds, but that popular media has given us of Narcos Mexico or, or Breaking Bad. These are Heavily recruited from the military and the police forces in Mexico. So highly trained people, some, some of them. They have training camps that are very reminiscent of some of the Al-Qaeda stuff we would see when that was the issue that the United States was worried about, these, these terrorist training camps. Well, they're actual, they're actual cartel training camps in, in parts of Mexico, where they're taking kids and turning them to child soldiers or taking just young adults and enforcing them into the, the life of Sicario. This is a newer phenomenon as far as the Zetas, the former Zeta group, which is almost, I mean, it's not what it used to be. It used to be run by a group of special forces uh, members from the Mexican army. They were kind of like an insight into what a militarized organization like that could do. And yes, they were very effective and very terrible. The strength that they had was recruitment and how they basically took the... Special Forces trading to heart. Uh, Special Forces units in the United States are known for going somewhere and basically building up guerrilla forces in the environment so they can multiply their strength. This is exactly the page that these uh, new generation cartel forces are taking. They're growing exponentially. Meanwhile, the the Sinaloa cartel, which is their main rival, is weakening. What people should look for or what people should, should be aware of is... This new generation cartel realistically doesn't have control over any large, significant part of that part of the U.S.-Mexico border as far as the trafficking route. Uh, They do their trafficking in other ways. Uh, But if they do, if they gain control over one of these uh, regions, it is a straight corridor and door into the United States for some of their influence. Uh, and I think we're already seeing some of that.
1: Is that the objective
0: for the for them? Yeah, they want to dominate the United States. They want to dominate the United States drug market, which seen the lower cartel has historically dominated for decades now. That's the objective.
1: So then, is it our drug habit here in the United States that really has built these empires?
0: It is. Uh, I don't. I'm, you know, there is a responsibility there. Foreign policy was a factor by the United States. Massive uh, drug use uh, and consumption in the United States, and also complicity by the federal government in some cases. I mean, I've been in places like Seattle and witnessed the mind-blowing fact of federally, federally, uh, federally given syringes being filled with heroin that comes from the Sinaloa cartel that's grown somewhere in Mexico. So mm-hmm. that that's 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 mind-blowing to kind of see. But I think that there's a responsibility there. Yeah. And there's a responsibility down in Mexico as well. Uh, corruption is systemic. It's been so for a long time in Mexico. And there is a giant responsibility there as well. I think pointing fingers as far as who's responsible is, doesn't take us anywhere. But responsibility should be taken by both sides as far as this issue and how it's turned into what it is now.
1: Ed, we're going to pause for a message. And when we come back, I want to talk to you about how heavily armed and well-funded this new generation cartel is. Ed when I talk to Texas law enforcement that I speak through through the podcast here out of Dallas, you know they're telling me that the, the what they're facing they're they're better armed than they are they have intelligence systems up and down the border and in in effect they're overwhelmed what do, what do you see what do you know that's that's taking place there and are we going to eventually see the violence? spilling across uh certainly texas cities or southwestern or the country i was a state agent not a federal agent so just a correction there because people get okay to, but,
0: but there was no federal police when i when i got into active duty we had the military on our the back of our trucks <laughs> so we're oh i was I, we were older than the federal police what I see as far as technology, I mean, I remember finding the first quad drone on the road to Playa de Tijuana, basically, where the uh, where the border wall goes into the ocean. Uh, there's a road that takes you there. And we found the first quad drone loaded with uh, methamphetamines. This was somewhere in the 2008, 2009 era. I'm not too certain, but it was, it was to us, it was like, wow, we found one on the ground and then I We asked people, we asked the other guys to turn off their sirens and be quiet and we could hear the rest of them flying overhead. And this was, you know, 2008, 2009 era, I think somewhere around that time. So we saw this moment and I remember like, wow, this is a new world. Then later on in uh, the history of Mexico, we started seeing weaponized drones of, civil, of a civilian nature, dropping grenades and improvised explosives that included some chemical components on entrenched positions in places like uh, Michoacán, where the New Generation cartel is actually fighting uh, for control of the area, with, uh, with the federal government who allied themselves with local cartels, which, which is insane, but that is actually something that happened. So, we started seeing a sophistication in technology as far as how they were able to take existing trade craft or field craft uh, things that they were seeing in places like Syria and turning them into their own. Um, clandestine explosive ranges have been found in places like uh, Guadalajara and Jalisco. So, it's something that they're working on. IEDs are now trained for as far as what to expect in Mexico speaking to some of my former colleagues, they are now being told to to leave the radio behind or to adopt certain tactics when certain situations might happen where an improvised explosive is is there or an IED. And this is Mexico. This is just across the border. The sophistication and technology you're seeing from remote-controlled man-pad rocket launchers being found in the hands of certain cartel members. The uh, proliferation of these RPGs coming out of some conflict zones across the world, Uh, Soviet made RPGs. One of them was actually utilized to take down a federal police helicopter by the new generation cartel. So their superiority has ceased to be an advantage for government federal forces in some parts of this conflict.
1: Well, I've, I've been hearing they have up armored vehicles. Very sophisticated weapons. Maybe even they've been buying weapons we left behind in Afghanistan. Can you confirm any of that?
0: I have seen very sophisticated and expensive night vision equipment that probably came from that conflict zone in Mexico. Yes. Also, I mean, sophisticated in the fact that they're, you know, the newest generation of stuff that the army that the military is probably using uh, suppressors, scopes, sighting systems. And there was recently, and something I, we actually covered on, on a podcast, the presence of something that is very reminiscent, and if not is, one of those uh, rocket launchers that were donated to Ukrainian government to fight the, to fight the Russians. I'm not, I'm not too sure off the top of my head what the model rocket launcher is, but you, is a, there's a video that circulated a few, a couple of months ago of a cartel member carrying around one of these uh, rocket launchers that look new out of the box. It could be an airsoft one, it could be a training one, but they, they have found actual man pads in Mexico. So it's not a stretch to think that some of these Western donated devices to the Ukrainian government have ended up in the black market and are, if not already, they're making their way into conflict zones like Mexico.
1: What are the estimates of how much money they're making off of human trafficking? in comparison to drug trafficking.
0: So I'm not, I'm not a numbers man, I don't even pretend to be that. Yeah. Uh, I was a guy that was on the ground and a grunt in a lot of ways, and I still have contact with some people that uh, still work that border on both sides of it, actually. I've heard conversations and numbers of people basically saying it's Christmas for people smugglers, that some of these criminal organizations that run some of those border b- parts of that border will make more off people than they do off the products that they're smuggling uh, across that border. So it is a very, very big moneymaker for them. The more attention is placed on that border and more of a political issue it is. We saw this phenomenon with Trump. The more expensive it seems to cross the border and the more they charge. Although you see this policy of keeping people on the border for cartels. It's like, oh, our services are more expensive now. I don't know if that makes sense. What you see with them is realistically... And I every now and then on social media, I'll post some of these myriad of videos um, that I find uh, were sent to me. Some of these uh, smuggling groups advertise openly on TikTok. They'll show a video of a bunch of guys that just went through the border showing their faces plainly and say, where are you guys? We're somewhere in Arizona. And who got you here? Well, so-and-so, he's the best, hire him. Like a, like a, something you would see for an insurance company or a bail bondsman. Openly, you can see that there is realistically, among some of these larger groups, there is no fear anymore. It For me, it seems like it's a foster situation as far as some of these caravans and some of these groups going all the way onto the border for them, it's good in all ways. Number one, it attracts all of the attention of the federal government to a specific or a few specific parts of that border, leaving a vast amount of it basically uncovered and or unprotected. Uh, We're already seeing and have seen in the past armed groups basically coming into the United States with AKs on their backs and kind of taking care of business as far as what the, the moving products across the border. So it's feasible to see that the mass of migration situation on that border and some of these smuggling issues and trafficking are all related. And they're being weaponized and kind of utilized by some of the people involved.
1: You know, I see so many very young women, lots of young women coming across. And my friends that are down there say, said they don't, you know, they're not college educated, barely educated. They don't really have skills. What's going to become of them?
0: Bonitas is what I've heard. Bonita it means pretty in Spanish. And it's a term you'll hear whistled, uh, you'll hear whistle and, and people scream out bonita in a finger when they have these groups of people and they'll be separated. And I don't know what happens to them when they get separated, but they get taken somewhere and the rest of the group never sees them again. Speaking to people that have gone through this process themselves, I mean, victims of uh, trafficking. You learn that they get offered a job, they get offered credit for the crossing. A lot of them are assaulted on their way up. Some of them aren't because they are more valuable for steam. And yes, some of these women are coming from places where the education and uh, the, the structure of the environment and society is is not very helpful for their ability to kind of discern danger. This is something that I've heard from several people that are working on that border, smugglers. It's Christmas. It's Navidad. It is a free... Right now, it's a, it's a golden age for them. It's a free for all because both sides are confused and at each other. Federal government in Mexico and the one in the United States are really realistic at currently in a, in, a, in a very difficult diplomatic situation as far as relationships go. They don't talk to each other that well anymore. Mexico has a very, very debilitated policing force right now. They got rid of All of the semblances of structure they had as far as uh, law enforcement, federal law enforcement and some of the local uh, agencies have been gutted to replace them with this new National Guard force, which was originally made to be the federal, the new federal police. And now it's turned into more of a uh, border patrol for Mexico. And realistically, all they do is they go and tax some of these smugglers and
1: that's it. What does the citizen on the street of Mexico, you know, who don't really have money—they're just trying to get by and work—what do they think about this? How do they live?
0: I'm sad to say, it's a normalized thing for them. I, I explain this—the aspect of Mexican normal is very different than U.S. normal—and you'll 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 get this. I do classes related to anti-abduction and, and, and working and traveling in dangerous places. I've done classes like that in Mexico, and I do classes like that in the United States. And whenever I ask people, who here has been through an experience like this? When I do a class in Mexico, usually half of the group will raise their hands because it's something that's happened to them before or a family member. or They've been a victim to some sort of express uh, kidnapping, extortion of some sort, because it's a very normalized thing in Mexico. 90% of all murders, if not more, never get solved in, in Mexico. That's why we have the phenomenon of all these people getting murdered and disappeared, And also the phenomenon of American serial killers basically coming to Mexico to do their thing because they know they can get away with it, which is again, another aspect of how some of these issues are actually regional more so than a Mexico or an American problem. Well, we just had a case of a, an American uh, get arrested for the murder of at least four or five prostitutes. He would come down to Tijuana to the brothels and and strangle to death. And this is completely related to the fact that it's a free-for-all in Mexico because the government right now, and in the past, but right now specifically, is completely incompetent and unable to kind of like provide the basics of uh, human needs, which is security.
1: With all of your contacts and experience here now, what are you hearing about the impact on crime in American neighborhoods? Is it being felt yet? There are a lot of people believe it is.
0: Somewhere in the in the early two thousands, late nineties, we saw a dramatic dip in uh, gang violence in the United States. We we don't see these drive by shootouts anymore. We don't uh, well we see them in some places, but not like the epidemic levels that it was in the nineties that inspired all these rap songs and stuff like that. And a going theory, and it's something a few friends of mine have talked about in the past, uh, is that the Sinaloa cartel, when it took control of distribution in the United States, enforced a uh, no BS uh, policy in some of the markets that they're controlling. So basically, they kept shit quiet where they were working. Pardon my French, but there is a saying in Mexico, no cagas en comes. Yeah, you don't shit where you eat, basically. And it's a policy that Cielo cartel has done in Mexico and it's been doing it in, in, in the United States. Um, now, what, what are you going to get when there's a larger player than this, these car- this cartel that probably operates and owns parts of Chicago, for example, L.A.? And what happens when the rival comes in, a large rival? Well, that's when you see the levels of violence that we're experiencing in places like Tijuana, where one cartel can't get at the head of the other cartel but they'll start shooting or killing all the people that distribute and sell for that cartel. They'll start burning the businesses of the cartel that that is getting paid for protection to make them look bad and to affect their business. They'll start murdering police officers that are on the take on one side. So this is how the chaos element that they, they bring with them starts spreading. We've already seen some violence of this nature in the United States. It'll grow if this this war that we're seeing between two forces in Mexico is allowed to basically jump the fence.
1: In my third and final episode with Ed Calderon, we will discuss how the drug cartels transformed his quiet town into one of Mexico's worst killing zones and his journey to become an American citizen. This is Robert Riggs reporting.